Welcome to Simply PM&R, a Mayo Clinic Talks production. A simple solution for PM&R healthcare professionals who want to keep up while on the go. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Bro, physiatrist and PM&R at Mayo Clinic. Sports-related concussions have generated a lot of press in the last few years. Non-sports-related concussions often go undiagnosed, but can result in long-term clinical symptoms. Today, we're joined by Dr. Billy Schultz, a colleague at Mayo Clinic and a physiatrist in physical medicine and rehabilitation. She also works with the Traumatic Brain Injury Clinic. Thanks for joining us, Billy. Thank you for having me. So, what is a concussion? So, a concussion is a traumatic brain injury. It's a mild traumatic brain injury, and it doesn't cause any anatomical changes, but there are chemical changes that cause a change in functioning. It occurs when somebody has some sort of impulse to their head. It can be a strike to their their body. It can be a strike to their head. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to have a loss of consciousness, um, but it causes a change in, change in that chemical function of the brain. So what kind of symptoms do people experience? Well, symptoms can vary from patient to patient. It's very individualized. Symptoms fall into one of actually five domains. The first domain is some people have no symptoms whatsoever, and they just kind of go on with their day. And that's a little bit different because is it truly a concussion? because of how we diagnose a concussion. And maybe it's what the patient's actually reporting to you more than do they truly have symptoms. The other four domains, though, are cognition. The patient may have difficulties remembering, paying attention, focusing on things. The patient may have difficulties with emotions, being anxious, being irritable, being more depressed than typical. The patient may have difficulties with sleep, sleeping more often or less often than they would typically do. And lastly, the patient may have more difficulty in the physical domains. They may have a headache, they may have visual changes, they may have dizziness, nausea, balance difficulties, tingling, numbness, etc. So you mentioned um, some things that can cause non-sports related concussions. Are there groups that are susceptible to these? Absolutely. Traumatic brain injury um, specifically and or in general and concussions specifically, falls are the number one cause. And when you think about who's at risk for falling, our elderly population is at high risk of falling. So as the population ages, we're actually seeing more concussions hmm. in our elderly patients. In the elderly. So how do you go about diagnosing a concussion? I know in sports we have, you know, like the SCAT-5 now and we have the King Divic. How about for non-sports related concussions? You know, even sports related concussions, we have these tests and things, but it's truly a really subjective um, diagnosis. There's not an objective test we can do. We don't have a blood test that we can do or a scan of their brain that's going to show a concussion. So it's based on symptoms and what we're seeing on examination. And so if the patient says, you know, I fell or I struck my head or I had something happen to me. And since that time, I've been having headaches, I've been having visual changes, and I've been super irritable with my loved one then we would potentially diagnose the concussion. Do you need imaging at all? Or is no, it? you do not need imaging unless there's some reason to get imaging. That reason would be some sort of focal neurologic finding when you're talking on examination or persistent nausea, vomiting, headache that is progressive and lasting for longer than a day or two. Can a mild uh, concussion result in permanent 
brain damage? Not so far as we know. So one of the biggest topics people are talking about these days is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And they talk about it with sports related, but people have concussions for reasons other than sports and multiple concussions for reasons other than sports. But CTE is based on multiple injuries, not a single injury. And those studies that have been done looking at risk of degenerative disorders, dementias, Parkinson's are based on multiple injuries. So right now the thought is that a single injury will not cause permanent damage. However, you may have persistent post-concussive symptoms that are long-lasting. So we talk about concussion recovery and the chemical changes related to concussion recovery lasting 7 to 10 days, which seems very reasonable. However, symptoms can persist beyond that. And the most common symptoms being headache that persists beyond that. And so I don't know if you would say, is it a new problem or a degenerative condition, but you people will potentially have ongoing problems related to that single concussion that are longer lasting. So let's say I'm a 20, well, I'm seeing a 22 year old college student riding his bike Fell off his bike, hit his head, no loss of consciousness. You've you've seen him, and you diagnose him with a concussion. Mm-hmm. How do you manage it? So a lot of it is based on education, first and foremost. Educate the patient, what they might experience, what the ex- expectations are for recovery, and the expectations that this could take a little while, and you're going to have to modify your behaviors. We talk about relative rest. So we used to, not that long ago, talk about absolute rest in the setting of the concussion. The patient would basically put them in a dark, quiet cocoon, no sound, no screens, no noise, no activity, no nothing. And more recently, it's been determined that it's probably not the best way to manage an acute concussion because then you deal with kind of the psychiatric implications of isolating a person. And so now we talk about relative rest. The person can get up, they can go for a walk, they can do their daily activities, they can be on their screen for brief periods of time. But what we're trying to do is still give that brain some rest with the hopes of recovery. So we talk about that and we educate the patient about that. The next thing we do is really dependent on how long the symptoms have been going on. If it's a relatively new concussion and we're still in those first seven to 10 days, we give it time. You know, we say, hey, we're going to see you back in a few days and we're going to see if things are getting better or not. But if you're now a week, two weeks out from the concussion and they're still having symptoms, then we start pulling in our interdisciplinary team. We start thinking, gosh, do we need to start looking at energy conservation strategies, cognitive compensatory strategies, exercises? Um, Do we need to look at medications? Do we need to look at school or work accommodations? Um, What do we actually need to do to start moving this patient toward a more functional life? Are you a physiatrist preparing for your upcoming PM&R Part 2 oral boards? Do you need to brush up on your examination skills? Through a combination of didactic lecture, case vignettes, optional mock oral examinations, and online modules, the PM&R Board Review course can help guide your preparation. This vital course will be held on the historic Mayo Clinic campus in downtown Rochester, Minnesota every spring, just prior to the American Board of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation oral examinations. For complete course information and to receive an email when registration is open, visit 
ce.mail.edu slash PMR. Any medications in the first seven days? So none that are FDA approved. We keep on looking at are there any medications that can improve recovery or provide neuroprotective um, features after a concussion. And the two that probably have been discussed and studied the most are N-acetylcysteine, with studies actually done in um, blast injuries in the military and given immediately after the injury. And it's thought that there may be some neuroprotective effects of that, um, but it hasn't really panned out in huge studies at this point. But when you look at risk, there isn't a lot of risk with that medication. So a lot of people will give it a try knowing that it's off-label usage. The other medication is again off-label usage and it's amantadine. So there have actually been a lot of papers looking at amantadine and concussion and how that could be helpful. There have been papers looking at sports-related concussion in adolescents. There was a recent paper published um, in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings looking at utilizing amantadine in the first year after a concussion and decrease in headaches when amantadine was used, decrease in healthcare resources as amantadine was used. And so there may be some benefit to that medication as well. But again, it's kind of in those early stages. Um, will it help? Will it not help? And you need to look at the risk and benefit ratio. You mentioned limiting screen time. What do you mean by that? So when today in today's technological society, you know, we're always connected to something. We're connected to our smartphones, our iPads, our computers, etc. And so there is actually a lot of light that can affect sleep patterns that's produced by screen time and eye strain when we're looking at screens. Both of those can make your concussion symptoms if you're not getting good sleep and if you're straining your eyes can make those concussion symptoms seem worse and last longer. So we don't say no screen time whatsoever, but as you're starting to ease back into that, maybe you look at your screen for five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time, and slowly ease back into what a full work day would be in front of a computer. Um, they do make different filters and other things that you can put on a screen so some of those lights change and that can actually help some of the eye strain and other things associated with that screen time. And then for the sleep piece of it, we recommend cutting off all screens one hour before sleep because it truly affects your ability to sleep and kind of how you're able to do that. There's some activating features to that light from the screens that affects your sleep, sleep regulation. So you're talking about a 20-year-old. Let's say that some, how would your management change in a 75-year-old who tripped, you know, over that darn rug and hit their head on the side of the, the uh, table and you diagnose with a concussion? Would that change your management strategy at all? It wouldn't necessarily change my management strategy with two exceptions. Exception number one is, you know, looking at medications that the patient's already on. I'm going to assume the 20-year-old's not on a lot of medications. The 76-year-old, though, might be on Anticoagulants, oh gosh, they've fallen now, they're on anticoagulants. Do I need to actually image their brain? Do I need to look at things a little bit more closely? Are they on antihypertensive agents? And maybe they got hypotensive and that actually caused and it wasn't a mechanical fall. So kind of looking at what was the underlying reason for the fall is a little bit more important when you're looking at those medications. And then it's kind of that back to everything plan. This may be a very, very active 76-year-old woman who is out there walking and running and aerobics and everything that there is to do. And so you, it's kind of you do that back to 
plan with them too. But in most cases, the 76-year-old might be a little more sedentary. So we're not looking as closely at some of the cognitive stuff related to school. Um, some of the driving, they may or may not be driving still. And so we need to look at what their life looks like and how that might be affected by the concussion. When counseling a patient, how do, how do you look at recovery? What do you counsel them say, this will recover this much? Or? Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. And we tell patients the expectation is for recovery, but the recovery may not last, may not fall into that seven to 10 days like books would say it does and their friends experience and it's all very individualized we talk about all the things that can affect how the brain functions so when we talk about brain function and what your symptoms are related to your brain injury the injury is one of those factors that influences that but we also look at sleep we look at mood we look at pain we look at you know if exercise is a big part of their life and they're not doing that we look at what medications they're on And all of those pieces and all of those things influence recovery. So if we have somebody who already had chronic headaches, their recovery may be longer because we're dealing with two things that can affect their brain function, the injury and those chronic headaches. If we're looking at a person who has sleep apnea and they're not using a CPAP and they're still having difficulties with restorative sleep, that may affect their brain function. And so we do take into account the whole picture, not just the brain injury when we're counseling our patients. You, you mentioned a little bit about an interdisciplinary team. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? What, what is an interdisciplinary team? Absolutely. In rehabilitation, we really pride ourselves on our teamwork and what we do to treat our patients and treat the whole patient. So in a lot of brain rehabilitation programs, ours included, we include the physiatrist and the medical staff, and that's a tiny part of it. We also include neuropsychologists who are experts in kind of how the brain is functioning and that cognitive piece and also the psychiatric implications of the brain injury. Our interdisciplinary team includes licensed social workers that can provide counseling in kind of coping and adapting to the injury. We have occupational therapists that look at cognition and different strategies to both improve and compensate for any cognitive difficulties, speech pathologists that can look at communication and cognition, occupational therapists that look at, as opposed to cognition, look more at our ADLs and is there a way we can do our laundry in a less energy expending manner that may be helpful from a recovery standpoint physical therapists that can look at any muscular component to the headache or any cervical strain that could be causing some of their symptoms and slowly increasing that physical activity. Um, We have nursing staff and really that whole team, vocational case case coordinators, and that whole team gets together and talks about the patient and again looking at all those things that can influence the brain's function and how are we going to address all those things individually to help the patient because there is no pill I can give the patient as of now that's going to cure this injury. It's a combination of time, strategies, and treating everything else that's going on with the patient. We've been talking about concussion with Dr. Billy Schultz, a colleague at Mayo Clinic and a physiatrist in physical medicine and rehabilitation and their traumatic brain injury clinic. Thanks for your time, Billy. Thank you again for inviting me. Today's episode was sponsored by Mayo Clinic Online CME offering on-demand medical education in a wide variety of specialties. This includes the Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation online board review course. Enter your boards with confidence, whether it's your first time through 
or for recertification. Learn on your own time and earn credit. Register today at ce.mayo.edu slash PMRBR online. Thank you.